Hey, have you applied to speak at Voice Summit yet? Applications are open until March 31st. So if you have something to say about voice, go to voicesummit.ai and click on apply to speak to be considered. Go ahead. What are you waiting for? Apply now. Inside Voice was recently interviewing live in person at a voice tech event called Project Voice in Tennessee. On this episode, you'll hear Andy Bellavia talk about what intelligent hearables have the power to do. Carl Robinson discuss what he's learned from interviewing so many people in the voice tech space and what are the most important things to know about voice. And finally, Dave Kemp discussing the emergence of hearables and how they're working with multimodal devices. All right, we are back inside Voice Podcast listeners. This is Carrie Roberts, and we have Andy Bellavia. Welcome back, Andy. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yes, I was just telling you, I told someone earlier, we're at Project Voice, that you are the hearables man. You and Dave Kemp, you just know so much, and I love it. You did a panel earlier today. Can you tell us what that was about? Yes. We talked about hearables and the recent advancements, which are helping to enable hearables as part of Ubiquitous Voice. Uh, even as recently as CES, with the announcement of the new Bluetooth standard, which will not only lower the power required for hearables to be connected, and therefore extend battery life, but also adding new capabilities, particularly the broadcast mode. So for example, I can be in an auditorium and the speaker's audio can be streamed to everybody's hearable devices simultaneously. Or in a sports bar, for example, they can broadcast the, uh, the audio from one of the games. And it'll, it'll end up replacing the old hearing aid standard. It's very interesting how hearing aids are far ahead in certain respects because for a couple of decades, there's been a system called the telecoil system for hearing aids, which is actually a magnetic loop system that's more cumbersome to employ. But movie theaters would do it, for example. So if you're severely hearing impaired, you could listen to the movie audio through that wireless link. Now that will be available to everybody, not just people wearing that hearing great. aids. That reminds, have you heard of silent disco? Do you know yes. what that, yes, that reminds, it's similar concept to that, right? Where the DJ kind of puts out music and everybody can hear it at the same time. They use like big, big headphones. Correct. But similar concept is kind of what you're talking about is coming. Correct. And you can do a lot of location-based things. Like the first thing I, I thought of when I heard about this capability was, imagine I'm open table and you arm all the open table restaurants that are in foot traffic areas with one of these Bluetooth transmitters. And so when I come in range of the transmitter near the restaurant, I can elect to hear a brief description of, of the food that's inside. So without a phone, because the hearable would directly uh, tap into the Bluetooth transmission to that restaurant. So no phone necessary. <laughs> that would be pretty convenient. And you were saying that it's accepted wisdom is that listening with hear earphones for long periods of time is hazardous to your hearing, but the future promises to be just the opposite. So some people think, you know, that it might be too loud. Maybe it's the idea that someone's in your head, but you're saying, no, there's a lot of benefits here. Can you explain? Absolutely. And if you think of the typical cheap earbud, they're kind of loosely fitting in your ear. So you want to listen to music while you're on the metro, for example. The metro is loud. What do you do? You turn the music up louder. And this is why people tend to say listening to music with your earphones a lot is going to ruin your hearing. But if you wear a modern device, uh, take, say, the Amazon Echo Buds or the AirPods Pro, for example, they're a more sealed fit. You're blocking out the outside sounds. 
In addition, they have noise cancellation. So you're not only blocking, but you're further reducing. So you're actually immersed in a quiet environment. Now you can listen to your music at a safe, safe level. The other key to making that work in real life today is that you also have the outside microphones. Nobody wants to completely isolate themselves around the metro, for example. You want to be aware of your surroundings yes. <laughs> or walking down the street. It's a good way to get hit by a car, yes. listening to your tunes. But when you have the combination of noise reduction, noise blocking and noise reduction, but having the outside microphones on, so, you know, at a low level, but you can still hear the surroundings, now you can listen to your music at a safe level and therefore you're actually protecting your hearing rather than ruining it. If you're already hearing impaired, to a mild level at least, you can also use certain of the hearable devices to help compensate for that. So, you know, the typical uh, mild hearing loss scenario is you're fine in a quiet environment, but you go to a noisy restaurant, you have a hard time hearing people. Well, there are multiple devices out there now where you can essentially take a hearing test through the phone app and then it will adjust for your hearing response. And you can also have the microphones focus more forward. So now you're in a crowded restaurant, they're doing intelligent filtering, knocking out some of the background noise and having the microphone pickups facing forward so you can talk to your table mates without being disturbed by all the noise around you. New Hera is uh, the one company that I think of more than all, the longest lasting company who's still thriving today, providing that mild hearing loss mitigation. And now there are new entrants as well. Like there's a, uh, a Korean company who's a, a hearing health company uh, named Olive Union, who just introduced one at CES and others are coming. So you have the capability of both protecting your hearing and enhancing your hearing should you need it. And that, so there's an app out now that can do that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Nuhira is the one I would use as an example. They introduced their new model at CES. You, you put the buds in your ear, it checks to make sure they're fit properly, and then if it's fit properly, it runs a hearing test. After you complete the hearing test, it programs the buds for your hearing response, and then you have different modes. So if you put it in street mode, you get omnidirectional hearing, but it'll intelligently filter so you can still hear the street sounds at a low level. But when you talk to somebody, it's still the hearing is enhanced according to your hearing profile. Go into a restaurant, flip it into restaurant mode, you get more noise cancellation and the microphones fo uh, face more forward. So whoever's in front of you, you hear much louder than people in a table behind you. So that exists today. That's incredible. That's like being the bionic person. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Plus, of course, you can access your voice assistant, listen to music and all the other hearable things with it. Now, you're a hardware guy as well. Can you talk a little bit about how the hardware is doing that? How are they able to create something that can test your hearing and then can adjust based on the environment you're in? Yeah, it's, it really comes to advances in, in the small DSPs that can fit within the ear. Uh, both their capability has increased and the battery consumption is going down. So you can get long enough battery life to go out in the evening and use them all evening. And so it's really just a matter of having an onboard computer with sufficient processing power. The hearing test is simply playing a bunch of tones that get louder and quieter, and you, you press a button on the, on the phone, you know, you tap the phone when you hear the tones, and so it'll measure your hearing response that way. And then the processor itself has sufficient intelligence so they can program, amplify these sounds, don't amplify these, you know, according to the pitches. Usually in mild hearing loss, it's the higher pitches that you lose. And so it'll amplify the higher pitches according to how your hearing test came out. 
That is so exciting. It's now, really interesting. Where, so where can people get a hearable or how do they know which one to get? What's the right one for them? Well, that's a really good question because, of course, the fit has to be proper, right? There are lots of different kinds of ears and some people won't you know, necessarily fit them. And the others according to what you want to do. If hearing enhancement is what you're looking for, along with the ability to listen to music and so on, I named some of those options already. Uh, you might also want to go for a biometric device, uh, a sport earphone. So I don't want to carry my phone and I don't wear a watch, it's fine, but I can get my heart rate out of the, heart rate out of the, uh, you know, it'll record a heart rate right in the earphone. There are actually models that are doing AI coaches, AI coaching. So if I'm running, for example, and I'm doing heart interval training, my heart rate's going to go up and I want to hit a target heart rate during, you know, the hard portion of the interval, it will tell me where I'm at and guide me to push harder, slow down a bit like that. So there's a lot of different options. So there's really some homework to do, uh, but the options are becoming clearer as the hearable devices mature and more good options come, each one focusing on different use cases. Yeah. No, that's really exciting. I mean, do you see any positives or negatives to how having a hearable in all day will affect our brain activity or our mindset or psychology at all? You know, that's really hard to say uh, because we're really in the infancy of using hearables for the kinds of use cases where you might consider that. And we've always been listening to music, right? Long before uh, earphones, I listened to music for hours on end at home. So I don't think it's any different. I think what's different is, is when you wear them ubiquitously. So if I'm out on the street, I have a hearable device in my ear and I'm talking to you, I'm going into a shop, asking a question of the shopkeeper, all the while I have something in my ears. That's sort of a societal thing that we have to get used to. Uh, I was at one of the earlier panels today with a group of European people uh, talking about how voice is developing in Europe as opposed to the United States. And I asked them about mobile, and a couple of the people said, uh, one from the UK and one from the Netherlands said, that it's still very off-putting to walk around on the street with earphones in. Whereas in the U.S., you see people walking around with AirPods all the time, for example. People are not thinking twice about it anymore, but that in Europe, it's still very off-putting. That if you talk to somebody, even if you can hear them, you deliberately take it out so that people know I am now attending to you. So I think that's really the thing. A part of you know wearing hearables ubiquitously is how we as a society, you know, adapt to the fact that somebody has something in their ears and understanding whether they're dividing up their attention or attending to me. I think that's the hardest part. Yes. Well, that's the same with the phone. If someone's looking at their phone, they have something in their ear, you think that they're not paying attention to you, even if it's off. So I would agree. That's probably a big challenge. Right, exactly. And when you're general. when you're looking at a phone, it's obvious you're looking at a phone, mm -hmm. right? Like if I'm reading a book, it's kind of like, I'm not in a talkative mood right now. If I'm looking at my phone, you indicate the same thing. But if I'm walking around with a hearable in my ear, it can be totally turned off. Or just, you know, uh, playing outside sounds, you know, properly filtered for yeah. my environment. And I'm quite willing to talk with you and engage. But how do people know that? So you have to kind of get used to the 
new social customs surrounding it. Yes. So you are so passionate about this. What got you started in this or really got you excited to say, I want to learn more. I want to do more. I want to really help kind of push this hearable space forward. Well, it really came from two different directions. At Knowles, we got involved in voice very early because our microphones went into the first Echo. So I saw an Amazon Echo working pretty early on and like, wow, there's a, you know, there's a cylinder you talk to and it gives you answers back. <laughs> and that was very fascinating. And then my original business was more radio communications earpieces and professional musician earphones. And then as hearables developed, uh, both you know, the hearable functions outside of voice and now how voice is becoming one of the key features in hearable devices, I got drawn into voice and the voice world that way. Uh, because as the use of voice on the go becomes more ubiquitous, then the hearable business will grow up and become larger. And that's the business I'm responsible for. Yeah. So I'm both trying to enable it and understand it at the same time. I love it. Oh, I love your passion. I love that you use it. I love that you're, you're encouraging people to use it. You're educating. It's all really good. Where can people learn more about you or what we talked about? So you can get me on Twitter at AndyB underscore Knowles. That's K-N-O-W-L-E-S. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about what you do. Great. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the chance to talk today. All right. Welcome back. We are here at Project Voice Live with the Inside Voice Podcast. This is Carrie Roberts. And I am with Carl Robinson, the host of Voice Tech Podcast. Hello. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Yes, I love having other <laughs> podcasters as well. So let's start with your background. So I had that, you know, you worked in IT, you did data science. What kind of got you interested in podcasting and voice tech? That's right. Um, so I've got a bit of a startup background. Um, I've launched a couple of little startups of my own. Uh, then I, uh, I was living in Beijing, so I worked uh, as a product manager in um, a mobile health startup called Gather Health. And we built a chatbot for uh, diabetics, for remote patient engagements. So that was my first chatbot kind of experience, conversational interface. Um, but the conclusion from that project really was that text was not engaging enough to, to get the diabetics to change their behavior. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if they could actually talk to this device? You know, there could be some emotion, some uh, interaction. So that was the first uh, seed of an idea. Um, and then uh, I left Beijing, I moved to France. I did a, a master's uh, in data science. So that took, took two years. And uh, for the internships, uh, I worked at uh, two companies. I worked at a speech analytics company called Bat Voice, who do uh, like call analytics for telephone audio. And um, there I did, um, I trained a model in TensorFlow for gender detection to tell the difference between a man's and a woman's voice. Uh, then uh, for my big project, I worked at IRCAM, which is a laboratory in France on uh, voice emotion uh, transformation. Um, so it's basically adding emotion to the voice. Uh, so you train a model in Keras to make it more smiley or more angry or more surprised, uh, these kind of emotions. Wait, how do you do that? From a development standpoint, you can do that? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you can, uh, you basically need um, what I use as a parallel database of uh, an, uh, an actor, an actress, um, who was uh, speaking the same phrase, which is why it's called a parallel database, uh, in multiple different emotions. So she's acting it, she's saying it neutral, she's saying angry, she's saying the same thing in different emotions. You feed that into the model, it learns the, the characteristics of each of the emotions, and then you can, uh, you can add in a, another voice, or a, her voice saying a different phrase, which the model hasn't heard before, and it can, uh, it can modify the signal, basically. So that is, that's, I, 
you know, I hear that stuff and I get excited and I'm also like, it's a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little creepy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's that's coming. Exciting. Yeah, yeah, you're like, it's coming, it's yeah. here, yeah, uh-huh. So, um, so that's what really piqued my attention. Of course, that was around the same time that uh, voice interfaces were really gaining in popularity and I thought, well, this is a, a great industry to be in. It's a really exciting field. You know, I enjoy working in it. It uses my data science skills, uh, but it's also very human. It, it involves that, that kind of interaction. You know, it made me think of my experience uh, working with the chatbot. I thought, well, this is it. This is the tech that really solves that problem. I know it's an impactful technology. It can be used in health. It can be used in all sorts of different fields. So I thought, that's it. Yeah, I'm going to start working in voice. And uh, so my actions uh, from then on, I took a little bit of a, a detour in that straight after that, I got a job uh, as a data scientist. But unfortunately, they, they didn't have any work on voice. So <laughs> I worked for six months in a big company. It was a great experience learning to code, you know, like improving my coding. But uh, I, was, I was pretty frustrated that I wasn't working with voice. So I left there. Uh, meanwhile, the podcast was really taking off. Listen numbers were going up. Engagement was great. So I thought, well, you know, this is a, a great way for me to stay involved in voice and uh, to grow the podcast and then hopefully get involved in some more IT projects and code some uh, ideas of my own uh, at a later date. So that's really the plan at the moment. And uh, things are going pretty well. Yeah. So how long have you had the podcast mm -hmm. for? Uh, I launched it April 2018, part-time, while I was doing my master's, doing it in the evenings, weekends, kind of tiring. I was, I was releasing uh, one episode every two weeks. Uh, then uh, later in the year, I sort of launched the newsletter as a way to promote the podcast. The uh, newsletter started doing really well. Um, and then over the last, I don't know when it was, uh, maybe five or six months ago, I switched to, to weekly. So once I... Once I quit um, my full-time job, I had enough bandwidth to, to do a weekly episode, which really is a, you know, a lot of work, as you, as you well yes, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> quite... I have my own, I do this one, another way it is. Yeah, I see, you're prolific, yeah, you've got high output. So um, it is a lot of work. Uh, the editing and the, the release is, is more work than the actual preparation and recording, as, as, as again, as you know. So, um, but it's been great because you know, it's a, a weekly thing. People can develop a habit around it. You get to speak to a lot more guests as well. And uh, I've, got, you know, I've got 10 episodes in my pocket that I'm struggling to release. I've got another 30 people in the queue waiting to waiting to record i've got you know demands off the charts so it's all about for me it's all about um monetizing it now getting some more sponsorships uh making it into more of a viable business because obviously i've got to live and i want to be able to put more money into marketing spread the word up the visitor numbers etc it's kind of a kind of a cycle that that feeds itself yeah so, and how did you get people to listen to your show because voice tech you know especially in the last couple of years has grown, but it was still new. I mean, I had Kane Sims on and he was funny because he was like, you know, I started my podcast and he's like, I wanted to do it on voice and nobody was doing anything. <laughs> and he was like, it was hard to find guests and now you have a ton of people doing stuff. Oh yeah, I mean... I have to say that the first five or six guests were people who were in my immediate circle. So they were researchers at the, the lab I was working at. Um, there was, uh, you know, the, the CTO of Batvoice who, you know, I did the internship at. He was the first uh, first one, Eric Bollow. Um, but then after that, after about six or seven episodes, I just had people coming to me. And uh, I think one of the secrets is to focus on quality. Like, you've got to have good audio quality so it's not difficult to listen to. You've got to spend some time on editing it so it's not a pain. It's not, it doesn't drag on. You've got to have a decent jingle that's not too loud or annoying. All these things you know because there's so much there's so much noise out there so much choice that you really just got one chance to, to convert a listener into a you know into a regular listener and um, yeah if you if you if you mess up then that's it you've lost them and, and, and there is a lot of effort and a lot of cost involved in acquiring each user right so um, things uh, things like the newsletter do help uh, I've always been big on social and uh, one of the things that I do that I think uh, I do quite well is that I, I put processes in place so when I'm doing a task, I'm always uh, taking comprehensive notes. I use Evernote. 
bullet points. I'm always revising them. So I have a very set process for everything that I do. I'm always re- revising it whenever I come up with you know, a better way to do it. And then as soon as I feel like that's pretty standard, it's stable, I'm kind of wasting my time doing it. And now I, I need to delegate that to someone. So I hire um, a virtual assistant company in, in the Philippines. They're called Task Bullet. They're fantastic. I highly recommend them. And um, they they manage a stable of, of virtual assistants who are very diligent. They do my social media. Now I've, I've delegated even more. Now they do the, the podcast releasing for me um, as I've gained you know trust in them. And uh, really that frees me up to do a lot of more of the creative stuff, come on podcasts like this and yeah. come to events like Project Voice, which are fantastic. I love that. That's very mm. smart. I am definitely a process person as well. Brilliant. I mean, it's, it, mm. it saves so much time. You become more efficient. You can do more of the stuff you like too, which is exactly exactly. So you as well as myself are talking to a ton of people on your podcast. Yep. You've been at Project Voice all week. What are you noticing? What are some common themes that you're hearing? Sure. Um, so... I'm asking the same questions of uh, the people that I've been interviewing. I've done seven interviews now since I've been here. Um, one of them is that you know agencies are noticing their clients are, are moving from proof of concept projects from that come from the R&D budget just to prove the prove the point that voice is a is a thing and that it can help them through to their their full marketing budget. So I think there's a there's definitely a, a movement there. There's a lot of optimism and the the projects and the the apps that people are building are now becoming more complicated, more integrated into the systems of the business. So that's really positive on the front you know people are paying for yeah. you know full voice apps um, but there's still a lot of uncertainty around discoverability um, so clearly the the app model that people have transplanted from mobile into voice isn't working as well as people hope there isn't a great app store um, so that's still a bit of an open question and there's people have got different different ways of tackling it, I think I mean there's there is um the, the Bixby model and uh, these component marketplaces that are envisioning uh, a future that, that isn't individual apps. They're more components that you, can, uh, that you can earn revenue from, developers can earn revenue from by having them integrated into a, a larger experience that isn't you know, direct invocations to these apps. I think that's really exciting. Um, that could be one way that voice is improved. Um, but uh, another way is uh, all these uh, cross, cross-skill promotions or being able to invoke uh, some functionality from one skill to, to another. Um, but definitely I think that these smart speakers are a, a very intermediate technology. Voice has got way more potential than a smart speaker, a, you know, a fixed object on the desk. We can talk about some of the, the predictions for 2020. Yeah, and well, yeah, I mean, you're hearing from the hearable space. I think, you know, what exactly. I get excited about is... Every person I've talked to, there's so many niches. Mm. So, you know, when you're talking about education or you're talking about cars or you're talking about fitness, you know, everybody's got this niche and they're figuring out how to use voice in a way that works for them. Uh, and to me, that's really exciting. You know, it just becomes more clear as a use case of what you can be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really, the, the world's your oyster. If you, if you don't start to look a little bit broader and uh, you realize how many people are working in voice, it's incredible. I mean, I could do a, I could do a podcast episode every week on a different subject. I never run out. Yeah. <laughs> There's always a different it's angle. It's true. There's always something you can add. It's true. Yeah. So, um, you were saying one of the things you wanted to talk about was some predictions you have for 2020. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm curious, you know, you, again, because you have an interesting background. So you're working in voice, kind of the development side, but then you're also talking to so many people. So you're getting a lot of information. So right. when you're thinking about those things as a whole, what are some of your thoughts for what voice is going to bring in the future? Well, first of all, I think uh, a lot more people are going to be interested in learning the voice skills, and I'm seeing evidence of that everywhere. So there's really fast-growing interest. Uh, I've seen voice developers purchasing Udemy skills. I've got a list of courses on my site that people are going through. They're very affordable. They're 10 bucks to learn the basic skills of building an app. Um, there is uh, the conversation designers. They're purchasing uh, conversation design courses like Robocopy. Um, again, there's a link on my 
website for that. There's yeah, RoboCup is great. Had him on the show. Have you? So we'll I, we'll we'll post soon, or maybe I don't know when this will post. Um, but yeah, he's doing great things for that space. He's doing great things, and it's a serious course. These, these are not um, Udemy courses that you can do in an evening. These are serious commitments that people are paying hundreds of dollars for, and they're they're selling. You know, so that that really gives me hope that people are putting their money down. They've got optimism in the the industry, and it's worth yeah. that time and investment. Um, the other thing is uh, obviously business people are, are asking more and more about voice now. We saw the Soundhound guide at the uh, the end of the last year. Some of my comments went in there. That went. I did really well. We see the launch of Voice Masters by the Vixen Labs team. Uh, I know you're closely involved with with James Porter. Yes, yeah, um, Pragmatic Digital. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're great people. Uh, again, everybody's so passionate about this education. So right. I think that, that that helps propel it forward. It does. Yeah. I mean, I had a conversation yesterday with um, Zach Gerard from the uh, Park University in Missouri. He hosts uh, the Alexa Club for the students, <laughs> and um, so in, literally they're going on tour. <laughs> He's got a club. They build all these uh, Alexa apps, and now they're going on tour, like showing them off and getting more people into the fold. As Ooh. well as they have their own, they have their own app in the university. Obviously, you can it. ask what your scores are. You know, like what classes are coming up, what, what you need to complete, yeah. all these things. So, you know, we're seeing things at, at all levels. Introducing people to the tech, people showing interest, people investing their time in learning it. So that's that is a growing trend. I think we're going to see more and more of. Yeah, really positive. Um, some of the more uh, exciting ones then about, you know, I think the, the thing that's most exciting for me are like the novel uses of the tech, like you're saying, it's so broad. So I've got four or five of these that I would say that for me are the most exciting. Um, first of all, I would say biometric authentication. A, a second conversation with Alexi Kitrov from uh, IDR&D yesterday. Such a cool tech. Um, basically, at the moment, as you know, smart speakers and uh, voice assistants, you have to log into them, right, to get your personal information, to get your own apps, to have anything that accesses your own data. You have to link it to your Amazon account or your Google Home account, whatever. But with biometrics, you could literally walk up to any smart speaker or microphone in the world, start talking, and with zero login, it would know who you are, it would grant you access to your data, to your own personal configuration, and uh, and you and you and off you go, you know, and uh, and that's really important, I think, as well, because these are conversational interfaces. You and I are having a conversation now. If I wanted to just bring uh, Lexi or a Google Assistant into the conversation right now and just ask a quick question about, oh, sorry, what's on my what's on my calendar this afternoon? I couldn't because I'd have to log into it because it's your smart speaker. You could, I couldn't do that on your phone. I can't just pick up your phone and uh, and log into your phone. Phones are very private. And smart speakers at the moment are kind of like that. They have these default uh, open uh, open interfaces where I can ask general questions, like I asked a question about you know Google search or some Wikipedia or something. But I can't access my personalized services. And as you know, personalization, contextual awareness, so important for these uh, voice assistants to be able to guess correctly what your intent is. So that is a huge one. Um, they're going to be more secure as well because they've got lifeness checks. So um, I was been, uh, I've been learning about these multimodal lifeness checks. They're going to have cameras looking at your face, making sure that you're moving in a, in a lifelike way and it, they're not holding up a photo to, to trick it. And uh, at the same time, listening to your voice, checking that against the database, as well as other sensors as well. So putting all of these uh, inputs together to make sure it's you and that you're a real person yeah. accessing these and services. security is a big issue. I mean, from the consumer side, the business side, everyone's asking about it. So that's great to hear we're hearing more exactly. that being worked on. That's right, yeah. So And then that will increase trust and usage, et cetera. It's a cycle. Um, going along with that, I would say emotion recognition. Um, the more context, um, the more relevant the responses are. And uh, we see uh, examples of that in Serence, for example. They're talking about they've got all these sensors in the car now. They've got interior cameras looking at your face, listening to your voice, measuring your touch on the wheel, uh, your, all these things, body temperature even. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, like the number of sensors in a car. And from all of those sensors, you can really accurately gauge uh, the emotional state 
of somebody and therefore deliver these really highly personalized contextual services um, to the to the driver or whichever you know situation people find themselves in. Mm. And you think about that, how that could help like in emergency situations as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you could tell, I, I don't know, you could tell who's, who's stressed. You know, you could even tell some of these... Uh, some of these technologies can even tell um, when diseases or uh, things like you know cardiac arrest or things are, are likely to come on just based on how um, how flushed your skin is. They can re- measure the redness in your face. They can measure the stress in your voice. Um, all of these things they're, they're prediction algorithms at the end of the day. And so by combining more, are they, more that, <laughs> are they that accurate? They are. Yeah, I, I spoke. Really? Um, yeah, what was that company called? I forget the name of the company. I remember that her, <laughs> the CTO was uh, Olga Parapelkina. I was remember that name. It's a Russian uh, emotion detection startup. Met at Slush in Helsinki, um, and they do that. They do this full multimodal thing, and they have that um, flushing detection, that blush detection on the face. That the more of these sensors that you incorporate into a system, the more of a high-resolution picture you can you can build of uh, somebody's somebody's state, uh, and the more decisions, more accurate decisions that you can take uh, on their behalf. So yeah, yeah there was someone uh, I don't know who was talking about um, how something similar to that mm. can also help detect from a health standpoint. You know, is somebody having an anxiety attack or right. having a heart attack? Ah. Oh, right. And having yeah. the difference so that you're kind of decreasing the time that's being spent in the ER mm. for things that are, are not, you know, a real issue. Um, and so it's interesting to see that technology can do that from a rem- like remotely. Remotely, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's exciting. Again, exciting but crazy at the same time. It's with you all the time. You know, that's what you need. It's the holy yeah. grail, isn't it? Of having a, it's like having your personal doctor accompany you with 24-7. It's like, it's like yes. what the Queen of England has. And with, well, in <laughs> the U.S., the health insurance is not great. So it, it helps to, you know, that, that would be wonderful. How many people don't go to the doctor because they don't want to pay for it? Absolutely. Or then you go to the doctor because you're, you're scared of everything. And so this would be a great way to kind of prevent some of that save time save money yeah I I heard of another example where it measures the um, I think it's the trembling in your voice or the the, the spacing between the words as you talk over the long term so you think for a heart attack it's kind of acute it's kind of in the moment Um, but they, for example, the onset of Alzheimer's is a very slow, gradual process that takes place over months and years. It's something that would be imperceptible even to, to your, your your loved ones who, who see you every day because it is so slow. It's like uh, your hair growing, you know, you don't notice it. But a machine can track it and they can measure the, the difference in, in, in the spacing between your words and then give you an alert. These kind of, uh, these kind of uses, yeah. you don't immediately think of them, but then when you're exposed to them, you think, wow, okay, this, this tech no, really I has mean, legs. Yeah, it, there's so many different ways to use it. I mean, uh, the, uh, the what's in my hand skill with Alexa. Okay. Uh, I had not heard of it. I know they won an award the other day. And someone at my table was telling me, you know, it's for people who are blind to be able to hold it up to the multimodal. Let's uh, say they're yes. pulling out a soup. You know, is this soup? Is What is it? Chicken? What is it? And it will tell you. I mean, that when you think about how it can help in everyday life and make someone be more self-sufficient and have more confidence, That's that right. to me gets me really excited. And me too, yeah. It's fantastic, yeah. right? It's incredible. It is. Um, well, another one that goes along with that is is hearables and wearables because at the moment we think of smart speakers, they're fixed, they're static, but we're, we're starting to see a lot of these hearables take off. 2019 was the year and 2020 is just going to continue that trend. Um, it's going to be, I think those are going to be one of the most transformative um, innovations, really. They're going to be a catalyst for, for greater usage because they're with you all the time, 24-7. They're going to enable many of these uh, these use cases that we just described. Yeah. Um, I think uh, they're also inherently hands-free, so hopefully we're going to see people lift their heads up, start looking in front of them again. <laughs> but, you know, as I talked to, to Andy and Dave, our, our uh, I call them the, the dynamic duo of, of hearables, you know, uh, it's interesting that you can't really see the hearable, and they'll still be playing while they're talking to you. And that's interesting to me of... 
can our brain be able to do that? And obviously people who have used them are able to kind of, you know, adjust mm. the sound. Like they're still listening, but the sound is high or it's low. Um, that's fascinating to me because in your phone, you can tell when someone's not looking at you. But with a hearable, you can. That's true. Yeah. Are, you know, it will create that doubt in your mind, won't it? <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it'd be even worse. It's a bit like that Black Mirror episode, you yeah. know, where everyone sees oh the gosh, score. When yeah. I watch that, I've only seen a few episodes when I watch it, it freaks me out because it's so true. That yeah. Is, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, we're going to have to manage that carefully because that, <laughs> that is the dystopian future that awaits. Um, and one that I really get excited about is interactive content. Obviously, being a podcaster, me and you, you know, we're, we're producing this content that's kind of static, including the adverts and, you know, the promotions within it. They're kind of static. So, you know, you press play, you leave it. If you don't like it, you skip to the next entire episode um, if you don't like the advert maybe you, maybe you just stop the podcast but we're seeing a lot of trends now so for, you know in terms of interactivity obviously these smart speakers have sound as an output and voice as an input and there's a lot of potential there so one of them uh, is Instreamatic they're doing interactive adverts now I think they've integrated with Pandora recently yeah I think um, yeah, Pandora or Spotify or maybe both maybe both now yeah. yeah they're going from strength to strength um, basically that is uh, they play you uh, an intro clip to a, an, an ad so it might be like hey I've, we've got a, a new offer on a uh, BMW 3 Series. Is that of interest? You know, do you want to hear more about that? And if you say, yeah, sure, then it will play you the rest of the ad. Uh, and if you say no thanks, then it will carry on playing the content, right? So you can skip it using your voice. But the people who do say yes, please, have a huge engagement level. You know, they're much higher than traditional ads because they've chosen to listen to it. They're paying more attention to it. And it's something that they want. And well, I think it also, in that standpoint, because let's say even if you are interested in, in BMW, for example, um, you still want the ad to be good. So mm. that also kind of says like, oh, their ads are terrible. If I've heard this, you know, it challenges the people doing the ads and the marketing to say, how do we make this different? How do we make this engaging? So That's people a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be another thing. I think we're, we're going to see the, the the fusion of ads and content where the, the ads become the content. Certainly with interactivity, there's more opportunity to engage. Mm -hmm. uh, some, you know, everyone has a, you know, a memory of a favorite advert they've seen maybe when they were a kid. You know, they love that advert because it's just so funny. We're going to see those kind of adverts appear in podcasts on our podcast apps on our phones in our hearables you know we, we're going to look forward to the adverts hopefully <laughs> yes yes i love it no this but, is great where can people learn more about you or connect with you uh we can well they can go to voicetechpodcast.com Mm -hmm. All the episodes are there. They subscribe to the podcast. Um, we discuss uh, with a wide range of experts focusing on the technology itself, how to leverage it. Um, I encourage them to rec check out the uh, recent podcast with Bradley Metrot to learn more about Project Voice and what he's doing. Um, if you want to sign up for the uh, weekly newsletter, Voice Chops Tuesday, it's uh, voicetechpodcast.com slash newsletter. And um, obviously, we're currently looking for more commercial sponsors as well. If you're looking to advertise through the channels, you can go to voicetechpodcast.com slash advertise. Perfect. Thank you so much, Carl. This is great to connect. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks a lot. Hi, Inside Voice podcast listeners. We are back still live at Project Voice, and I have Dave Kemp here. Welcome. Thank you very much, Carrie. Good to be here. Thanks yes. for having me on. Excited. Yes. So you are in the hearable space, mm -hmm. and we've had you on the show before. You're extremely passionate about it. Mm -hmm. It's a family business as well. You did two talks at this event today. Let's start with the first one, which was about the emergence of hearables with, I feel like he My should be dude. your best friend. My dude. dude. Andy Bellavia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. The two of you, partners in crime. I, I just love, I love the interaction <laughs> between the two of you and the passion you guys have. So tell me a little bit about what that, 
was about that workshop. Yeah, it's funny. Andy and I, you know, back in the day when I was like really first starting to brand myself and, you know, like using hashtags and he seemed to be one of the other few people that was constantly tweeting about hearables. And so over time, we just sort of developed like a Twitter relationship and then we met in real life. And uh, he's he's a great guy. He's a he's a good friend of mine now. And, um, you know, we, we talked a lot about a lot of these developments that came out of CES. Uh, in a lot of ways, this was a sort of a big momentous um, CES for the world of hearables. And the reason being is um, some of the, the underlying technology that's going to really propel the product category forward for the next 15 to 20 years. So uh, the the chair of the Bluetooth special interest group, uh, Nick Hun, he's the same one that actually termed the word hearables. Um, he wrote a piece coming out of uh, the show, um, at, you know, really introducing the new Bluetooth protocol that this Bluetooth special interest group has been working on for a couple years. It stems from from the Bluetooth protocol that was developed specifically for hearing aids not long ago. And basically, it's called Bluetooth LE Audio, so low energy audio. And the whole idea is that it allows for more efficiencies in the way in which um, the Bluetooth can be power saving, um, but it opens up a lot of really interesting new doors. So I can go into some of those if you want. Yeah, go for it. Okay, all right. So the first thing that this does is it allows for uh, streaming to multiple audio sources. Okay, so for example, uh, if you and I and one other person are sitting on a plane and um, we have one person in the middle of us and uh, that person has a tablet and we're all actually streaming through Bluetooth onto that iPad or whatever through our AirPods. Um, so that's like one example. Another example would be if you're in a, a theater, an auditorium or a stadium. Um, hearing aids have historically had this capability called telecoils and uh, it's you know what this Bluetooth streaming to multiple you know, multiple uh, inputs into one source, it's effectively solving the same job that that had been doing through different means. And basically, you could have a theater full of 10,000 people all streaming to one audio source. So you could have, you know, people in the audience that have these Bluetooth connected hearing aids and everybody is tuning into the actual sound source. So from an amplification standpoint, it's really intriguing. Um, you know, along with that, like you could see uh, examples of situational usage for, say, like um, AirPods and using them in sort of like an amplification setting. So like you, me, and two other people could be at dinner and maybe two of the people have a hearing loss and it's a noisy atmosphere. So one solution would be you basically, I would imagine um, one of the things that will be a byproduct of this will be that a lot of new, uh, just like Bluetooth remote microphones will emerge, um, cheap options, and, and you place one of these at the table and then we all stream into that. And so we're all sitting around, maybe two two of us are wearing our AirPods while we're at the table, and I'm actually streaming into this microphone so that it is uh, just a directional uh, microphone that's kind of like isolating our conversation. So again, you can kind of see how like this opens the door for situational amplification. Um, it will require some additional accessories, a, Initially, another cool thing that this Bluetooth protocol is going to enable is uh, audio sharing. So, like for me, I look at this as like, you know, you always kind of look at like the younger generations of like, you know, they tend to be the ones that push the envelope in, in terms of how the next thing comes about, right? Like TikTok, for example, mm -hmm. like that's just taking the world by storm. And initially, you know, it's like this 
gimmicky tool that is uh, redefining video content, for example. And so I look at this new Bluetooth sharing option as like another potential avenue as to how the social web evolves, because you can imagine like a group of teenagers sharing audio, you know, and it's not necessarily to just say like sharing music, although I think that will be a big use case. Like, you know, I could basically just be like, hey, check out this song. And then we're both streaming that same song on our AirPods. But another example would be like, um, you know, sending one audio message to a group of people. Um, so I, I just think this idea of sh uh, sharing audio is going to be big. And, and the other thing, if you combine these two things, so the ability to share audio and then also uh, to stream one source to multiple um, audio devices, uh, you think about how like that opens the world to AR, you know, audio AR. Uh, so you can imagine like, um, you know, if you're taking a tour, for example, uh, and, you, you know, as you walk, your uh, you turn this on so that it's, you know, based on your GPS, uh, it's identifying the, um, you know, the, the, the sound source that you're going to be toggling in and out of. So you walk 10 feet over here and suddenly you're streaming the Bluetooth audio that's affiliated with that proximity. And, and so you're getting, you know, you're in a museum and, and that then leads you to, you know, this um, explanation on the statue that you're looking at. You walk 10 feet more. And now you're getting a new Bluetooth stream that's filtered in and you're getting an explanation at the painting that you're looking at. Um, you can imagine this being applied to tons of different settings. Like we're here at a conference. You could imagine as you're walking through a conference hall, for example, if this is set up in a way where you have these different Bluetooth sources that are being toggled sort of in the background. Um, I'm walking up and, you know, so here I am at the, the Modev booth and, uh, you know, I could talk to one of you or in my AirPods, I get um, the 30 second recording that you guys have issued. So welcome to the Modev tent. You know, this is who we are. So you can see like how this starts to make its way into conference settings and, and just a wide array. Um, and then like also games, right? So like Pokemon Go, you know, that was a big thing where you're going, you're walking around and you're seeing like, okay, so here's this thing might be that, you know, you're walking around and it's a similar type experience, but you're being fed different audio clues or something like that. Again, this idea, sharing that audio, hey guys, come check this out. Boom, sharing this over to you. So I just think that um, those are just a few different examples of new things that this Bluetooth protocol just the one Bluetooth protocol is enabling and it's sort of like that evolution of like the underlying technology that then facilitates whole new things that weren't previously possible. Now, is this something that's out now? So it was introduced. It will take years. It'll probably take like three years or so, uh, you know, to implement it. Um, you know, you'll have to have like the example I gave with the theater, uh, you know, where like you can stream your hearing aids into that. The theater would need to um, more or less like build that out. You know, they'd have to create it so that you can uh, do this like streaming into one audio source. But um, it's become available. That's really exciting. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think, again, we always think of voice. A lot of people think, oh, a device, but we're seeing it in cars. We're seeing mm -hmm. it everywhere. You're talking about hearables. Do you yourself wear hearables on a consistent basis? So I've been using AirPods Pro. I got them uh, for Christmas. And honestly, it's a revelation. Um, and I'm biased because I'm, I'm the guy that writes and talks about hearables all the time. But it is interesting because 
the one thing about it that's really like it sort of is like you use it and and it feels like it's a big thing is this ability to quickly tune the just through a squeeze of the of the stem you're turning your active noise cancellation on and off and so like i'll give you an example i was just in the airport and um you know, so when I'm walking gate to gate, I turn it on, you know, I turn my active noise cancellation on and it's unbelievable. I mean, you literally turn just as any noise cancellation would do. You turn the world off in a sense, you know, and then I come up to my gate and I need to hear some announcements. So then I just turn it right back off, but I'm listening to audio the whole time. I'm never pausing my audio or anything like that. I'm just turning the world on and off in a sense. And for me, that's such a that's such an aha moment because right now we're just seeing this single application, right? It's just noise cancellation, but you can, I, you can start to see how like this idea of true augmentation of the world, whether you're turning the world sound off or you're f- allowing for new things to be fed in. So another thing I didn't really mention with the Bluetooth protocol is basically this ability to stream, call it like multiple channels at once. Okay. So what that means is I can be listening to my audio and I can now have with this upgraded protocol, I can have like a voice assistant communicating with me simultaneously. It doesn't pause my music. It doesn't do anything. It might be such that it turns it down while it's communicating with me, but you see like, okay, so what are the applications of that? Well, one application might be like with the rise of voice commerce, you know, if I'm going to be, we saw that partnership with, um, Amazon and Exxon Mobil, where you can now pay at the pump using uh, Alexa, you know, so you imagine like if this kind of progresses over the years and more and more things are tied to your voice assistant, whether it be Amazon, Google, Apple, and those voice assistants are tied to your payment account. Um, that's how like this idea of voice commerce would really emerge is like anywhere you go, that becomes an option. So you're just like pay for this, pay for that. And so you with this Bluetooth protocol, you can issue those things and you can have these like quick little dialogues with your voice assistant. Would you like to pay for this? You know, um, confirmation, you know, are you wanting to pay with this? And, uh, and it's, again, it's one of those things that it's really small, but it's a thing that it could become something that's a reoccurring thing. And so if not for the underlying technology, enabling it to be extremely seamless and non, um, you know, like not an irritating, uh, I think those are the kinds of really small things that add up to where it makes or breaks this experience. You know, it's like, well, I would use voice commerce more, but I hate the fact that like, I'm constantly having to pause the podcast. I'm listening to the music, you know, again, like these things seem trivial in isolation, but when you add them all sort of together, you start to see, like, I can see how that can make it a poor experience. Now, do you see any concerns with security when it comes to a hearable? So if you're saying if it's something you're, you have mm-hmm. and you're asking it to access your finances and everything yeah. else, and let's, they're so small, let's say you lose them, like what are some of so, your thoughts uh, on that? One of the, for anybody listening to this that's interested in this particular topic, go back and listen to the VoiceBot episode where Brett interviewed, uh, I think it was Vijay Balasubramanian of Pindrop Security, um, because it gives you an idea as to the type of biometricing that you can do for security purposes. So voice biometricing, um, where, you, you know, just in like the, uh, the way that your voice sounds, there's, I remember this episode, like it was mind blowing. 
there's like 126 different markers that they can identify in just a single burst of speech um, that they can use to uh, identify people and, and use it as an authentication system. Um, another would be just like if the biometric sensors that are likely to make their way into AirPods and just like hearables of all sorts, um, those would be really good examples too of how you can authenticate a lot of this stuff using your own um, biometricing, like your you know, your own like vitals essentially. Um, so there's definitely companies that are thinking about this, this idea that like this stuff becomes so invisible almost, you know, and so, um, it fades into the background. Like, you know, are we just being callous with like our privacy and like the security aspects of this? Um, and I think that as this progresses, there will probably be instances just like there are with all tech, uh, you know, new, new paradigms and such, um, where you go through, you know, whether it be with like when the web first came out and there were viruses all over the place, you know, and then like with mobile, you know, you see like the spam calls and stuff like that. So I think that like there will be challenges associated with this. It's not to say that like, yeah, this is going to just be introduced and everything will be solved. But I think like what's encouraging is um, when you start to educate yourself on like what might be possible, you see that there are solutions that seem viable to solve these things and, and continue to allow for this to be sort of like invisible. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And your other one was about the other workshop you did, hearables and multimodal. Yep. Which I haven't heard you talk a lot about. Yeah. So, um, so this has yeah, been like more. a new topic that I've been getting really yeah. interested in. And uh, my partner in crime here, Catherine Prescott, was amazing. Um, you know, she does Voice Brew, which is the uh, news subscription. Um, it's a newsletter that goes out and it teaches you about a lot about what's going on with Alexa. And her and I both became really interested in some of the new market research that's come out around um, device sales. And in Q3, I think, of 2019, uh, the share of multimodal devices, so like the Echo Show and the various sizes of that, it jumped from single digits to 20%. And uh, I just attended a session with Emily Bender, actually, where she was talking a lot about this idea that like we've heard about voice commerce as being like this potentially very large use case that that really emerges and it becomes uh, one of the primary drivers for like voice technology in general. And she made a good point. We were talking about this in our session too. Like in this early stage of it, it might be that we sort of need a visual component to appease people's concerns that they might have with like just like a non-visual voice commerce experience. Like being able to say, uh, I want to order this, you know, and you say a particular product and you then can see it on your Echo Show device, like the options, and you can scroll a little bit. So it's like, it's half voice, but also half visual orientation. So I think like, that's a really important thing. We also talked a lot about, um, the Food Network Kitchen. So I'm not sure if you've had like yeah, Tim McCullery Tim on. on. Yeah, yeah, really interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff. And like I've been on my podcast, I've talked about this a lot. And like in the session, I talked about this a lot. I really think that of like, I've been following the Alexa space and the voice assistant space pretty closely. Um, of recent developments, that's from, to my, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing things that's going on because again, it's this idea of like, what are truly unique use cases to uh, this like voice assistant paradigm. And 
I feel like up until now we've had a lot of like maybe it's a little bit faster to do it through voice, but you could do it through, you know, through your smartphone or, or you know, whatever other legacy device that you're using. Um, but what this does, this Food Network Kitchen, and I think it could be a blueprint for how a lot of media companies sort of take their content and they alexify it, if you will, um, is this idea that like you add this interactive layer and you add the ability to have the voice modality. So you can control it with your voice, pause, you know, you're cooking, right? So you don't, your hands are occupied, pause, rewind 30 seconds, um, asking queries that are pertinent to the video you're you're watching. Wait, how many pounds of chicken should I be cooking? Wait, am I supposed to um, dice uh, the tomato or am I supposed to just like quarter it? Um, so like those are really interesting things. And then you add in like this new ability where they're um, taking live content. So it's like a Peloton type experience and you're watching um, you know, Guy Fieri, you know, whoever it might be. And he's cooking and um, you can literally ask questions that will be you know, be passed on by a moderator. Uh, so it's almost like the radio station where you're like, let's take some callers while he's cooking. And I just think like that to me screams like this is new, you know? And so like discovery, right? They have a lot of different properties. You can imagine that this gets, you know, okay, if this is successful, what if they do this with like HGTV, right? What if they do this with all the other properties that they own? And like, for me, the sweet spot that this might ultimately fill is a how-to platform, right? Like it's truly a how-to platform. Whereas now you might be using YouTube to teach yourself how to do different videos. Imagine YouTube, but on steroids where you can, again, you can use your voice. You have this massive catalog of uh, indexed uh, content that you can search for in any way that you want. I need to uh, figure out how to unclog a drain. Okay, would you like to watch a three minute video from Chip and Joanna Gaines on like the best way to do that with things that you might already have in your house? Um, that's what I think is really exciting about this is it is something that does feel new. Yeah. And just the interaction of it yep. is exciting. Like you said, Chip and Joanna, Joanna Gaines is a great example because yeah. people can be like, oh, I can ask them a question and they're totally. going to answer. And that is a great way for that those two and HGTV to build a brand because now you feel more connected to it, mm -hmm. which I love. Well, like in, in uh, when I was talking to Tim, interviewing him on my podcast, I, I'm sure you had a great conversation with him too. Um, you know, he was talking about like how uh, different generations have grown up with, you know, like these ideas, right? Whether it be like you're using a traditional cookbook that was handed down from your mom or you grew up with your mom watching Food Network Kitchen, you know, as a kid. Um, to now it's like you grow up with your mom learning to cook with Gianna or Giada um, asking questions, you know, like I just think it's a really cool way to think about how companies like Discovery are are forcing themselves to adapt and evolve using these new technologies, but in ways that are, um, you know, in this talk that Emily Binder just gave, in this idea that you're not just like, like when mobile computing came about, there were tons of bad examples of, of companies that tried to just take their web experience and port it to mobile. Like Facebook's first app was horrible. And then they actually designed a mobile app from the ground up. And I think this is the same thing where it's like, you can't just take what's been successful on Food Network Kitchen in the past and just assume that you can like port it to this new experience. You have to rethink this thing from the ground up. And that's what I think is so cool about what's happening right now and like what we're starting to see take shape where this does start to really feel new. I love it. Oh, so good. I always <laughs> love your passion and I love that you're always 
you're you're learning about something, but then you're taking it to the next level, Thank which you. is great. Where can people learn more about you or what we talked about? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me at Twitter. I'm very active there at Oaktree underscore Dave. Uh, you can also check my blog out, uh, Future Ear, um, and then also my podcast, the Future Ear podcast. So that's Perfect. all. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Carrie. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you, and we look forward to chatting with you next week.